welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 29, recorded on June 26th, 2019. The Cloud Pod reinforces security. Hey guys, welcome from Boston in my lovely uh, Airbnb apartment. How are you guys doing? Doing well in my hotel. I think your Airbnb is a lot nicer than my hotel. Yeah, it might be debatable. <laughs> it's, it's good <laughs> enough. And then uh, how about you, Jonathan? How's it going out in lovely California? Well, I'm happy to be watching from a distance. Indeed, indeed you are. But we do have a special guest uh, who's joining us today, Sarah Tumbarella from Foghorn. She's a security engineer on their team. You want to introduce yourself, Sarah? Sure. Um, as Justin said, my name is Sarah Tumbarella. I have been doing security now for about seven years. I have a diverse background. I also have um, a master's degree in information systems security, as well as my CISP. Fantastic. We're glad to have you on the podcast. We, you, I've known you for quite a while, and uh, You've been a friend of the show as well from the distance, so we're happy to have you here. And uh, you're the perfect person on this day where we talk all about Reinforce and security with Amazon. Excellent. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's cover the elephant in the room, first of all, which is the draft results. Uh, (laughs) So it was a rough, rough draft for uh, both Jonathan and I. uh, But Peter did uh, come out uh, on flying colors with the flow logs with payload data packet capture as they did finally announce the bump in the wire capability. Uh, which gives him one solid point, which uh, to Jonathan and I's zero points, that's a that's a solid win with no debate. So we didn't need uh, our tiebreaker in chief, Ryan Lucas, to join us for this one. Uh, Jonathan did get an honorable mention, though, on organization enhancements uh, to make security easier across. So he gets a bonus uh, kudo, but no points for that. And then uh, Peter also did predict the lunch would be free, uh, as free as, and you bought it with your admission to the conference. But uh, yeah, so overall, the draft was a little bit of a bust this time around. Um, I wonder how much of that is just a, a lack of understanding of what Amazon really is trying to do from a primitive perspective versus what we really want them to do. And is that a disconnect or is that really more of just Amazon isn't as far ahead on some of these areas as we hope they would be? Yeah, I mean, it's a whole new world and I can't, I mean, we know exactly where our pain points are and they got to prioritize something. So I'm, I'm sure if we kept this contest going long enough, a few of these other things would are going to pop up in the near future. Yeah, definitely. I think it, uh, they're, they'll get filled in and maybe just not at this particular conference. Yeah, I was disappointed. Um, I'd probably be open, open up some uh, feature requests for at least some of the things that we uh, we predicted, which didn't come true. The way Azure improved their security groups to, to use uh, services or sources or destinations is something that Amazon should definitely do. So that's that's going to go on my list. Well, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's just talk about the conference overall. So it is here in lovely Boston. The weather has been relatively good. Uh, pretty nice and warm, but not too hot, a little bit humid. Uh, we did have some rain yesterday after you know, the main day of activities, but uh, overall it's been pretty pleasant. The venue is nice. Uh, it's a very large airport hangar type venue. has a really nice show floor with lots of security vendors in it, and of course a, a very large breakout room for the keynote. Uh, Steve Schmidt did the keynote yesterday. He is the CISO for AWS. I've seen him talk a couple of times in the past at previous shows at reInvent. You know, he does the state of security talk and I've seen that a couple of times and I heard him speak. And overall, it was very much the same story he's been kind of selling for the last couple of years on the main stage, uh, at reInvent. And so there wasn't a lot there in his overall keynote session that I thought was really interesting. There were a few announcements scattered around, which we'll get to in a little bit, but overall, um, the way I compared to somebody who I said, well, if you've ever been to a summit and you've seen one of the summit keynotes, uh, it was just a more security bent version of a summit keynote from my perspective. But yeah, that's kind of my t- initial take. What about you, Peter? Yeah, I think um, I was I was surprised because we're uh, doing a 
a security-focused event, which I thought they would end up going a little bit deeper. Um, I thought that the information was pretty introductory, which you know is often the case when you're doing a regional event because you're really trying to get the the word out and get um, just get awareness. Uh, but um, I, I thought the format was good. I thought he did a great job. Uh, I just thought the content was a little introductory, and this could just be coming from someone who's been going to these things since 2012. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think it was um, I think it was pretty high level. Um, I would have definitely have liked to see them get down to a more granular level and um, get into some details. Yeah, I think they um, they did a service themselves because they kind of they kind of kept everything a bit higher level than I think they meant to, and so I think the keynote was talking about a lot of basics and a lot of things we already knew several of the sessions that I attended, you know, the breakout sessions, even 300 and 400 level tracks were very, you know, this is a VPC, this is the shared security model. And, you know, fundamentally I've been doing this a long time as well. I, I don't really need that. I'm, I'm more interested in the higher level value props of some of the security solutions, how to put the primitives together into something interesting. Um, I really wanted more kind of into the, you know, how does Amazon, you know, he had on the stage, like, you know, they have one on-call SOC person, for all of security at AWS at any given time. There's one person who's on call who's just monitoring the automation. I wish they would unpack that more. I wish they would talk about what they are doing there, how they use Amazon solutions to deliver that value, what other things are they doing that are interesting. I think that'd be really compelling. And that would have been what I was kind of hoping to get out of this was more of a prescriptive way to do security on AWS, less this is the basic building blocks that you can use to do something. Yeah, I think you just nailed it. A more prescriptive approach of how to do it. Yeah, so I think I think we've covered the primitives in depth that you know reinvent several years in a row. I just I wanted more. I wanted more prescription. I wanted more like this is how you do it. This is what you need to do. I mean, and there was an interesting session we went to about using mathematical proofs to prove compliance, which is now being baked into their inspector product and a couple other things. And that's interesting, but again, it was still very high level, not a lot of depth. Um, but yeah, I, I hope. Overall, they get some really good feedback from this conference. I think it could be really powerful, but I think it, it needs to be thought of a little bit differently. I think this needs to be a, a much more technical conference uh, that's more deep dive, hands-on lab stuff versus um, the high level, these are the primitives, and here's how we use them. I agree 100%. It would have been really nice to have um, to have sat in sessions where they just did a really deep dive into technical and how we can utilize that for our clients, right, and help them build out these different tools, um, especially for compliance. You know, that mathematical equation was pretty cool to watch. But overall, I mean, that was about the only technical um, session that I sat through, and it wasn't, it, you're right, it was very high level. They didn't really give you any meat um, you know, to go back and implement. Yeah, there's definitely some sessions that I wanted to get into that I, I couldn't. Of course, you have the typical you know conference sessions full, trying to get in standby line. Uh, I know Colm uh, did an interesting talk on encryption that I'll check out on YouTube here in a couple of days when it's out. Um, so I think there might be some some good nuggets here in the mix, but I, you're going to have to dig for them a little bit, I think, overall. I, I think the big problem I have with this conference, too, is for two days, you know, paying $1,300 if you didn't have a discount code versus going to reInvent, which is around 15 Hundred to sixteen hundred, I think, um, and you get four or five days of content out of that. I think the value is not quite here, um, and so this is definitely a problem they're going to solve because I don't think they sold out the event. I think people looked at the price tag and said the exact same thing I just said, which was two days for that price. I don't think it's worth it. Um, and then you know, the other thing I uh, takeaway that I had was you know I was at the Palo Alto Ignite conference a few weeks ago, and the audience is different, right? It w that was true security people, security engineers, CISOs, people who are really living and breathing security in a big way with Palo Alto. Uh, and I think 
why we had a lot of, you know, there are definitely security people here at the conference. I didn't, they feel more like DevSecOps guys and really focusing more on DevSecOps and automation and stuff like that, but they're not the hardcore security people who understand IOCs, who understand, you know, how different systems work and how the different threat models are. Um, and so I think they didn't quite get the audience they needed either. Um, and I think if they had gotten that audience, it actually would have probably be a worse result than what they're going to get in the surveys now, because I think those people would be even more disappointed in the content that we saw. Did you get any swag for your money or just the sessions? I did get some swag. I got some good stuff. I have a lovely armor uh, beer cozy for my, my beer. Ooh. All right. Uh, any other overall thoughts there or Peter? Well, you know, one thing that was kind of nice about the fact that it wasn't sold out was it, it felt like how it should be as far as how crowded it was on the floor, how, how easy it was like ahead of time to book seats at events. I mean, versus reinvent where one hour into open, uh, opening that up, everything is booked uh, and everything is packed everywhere you go. Uh, it was, it was kind of nice having a little space and it, it felt like that's how the conference, these things should feel as far as how crowded they are, how easy it is to get into sessions. In Steve's defense, do you think the role of the CISO is as technical as, as you were expecting, or is, is it really more of a management function? I mean, would, you, would you expect a CISO to, to do a very technical presentation on stage? I wouldn't, um, honestly. And I mean, in my opinion, no, I don't think so. But I think they could have done, um, they kept it really, really high level. Um, it would have been nice to have gotten a different perspective. I mean, I don't feel that I, I sat there and, you know, learned um, you know, or, or took in some new knowledge. Um, everything was pretty high level. That was, I, I would imagine that most everybody already knew. He still did a great job, though. I mean, the conference was great all around, you know, and had, like Peter said, it wasn't, you know, super congested and they did a great job, but it's year one, right? So just do your evaluations on the on the sessions and hopefully they'll take that and, and run with it next year. Yeah, that's my hope as well, is that yeah. we see a, a big improvement in the session next year. It will be in Houston next year. Um, versus Boston, so they are moving the venue uh, to mid, you know to central time zone. Uh, so we'll see how that works out in Houston, and if they have the same pricing or if the same you know different level of content number of days. They didn't say the exact dates; they just said it will be in 2020 in Houston. So we'll see when they'll be scheduling that because uh, July in Houston is pretty humid, so that might not be the most fun time to go. <laughs> but uh, we will definitely find out. All right, well, let's get into the announcements because I think there was at least some good announcements in all of this, and some some good innovations that people can take advantage of. Um, even though it wasn't you know, things that we guessed or things that we really wanted, I think there are still some good stuff here. So let's, let's just jump into these. Um, so the first one uh, actually came out a little bit late last week, and I tried to sort of clump all of the security-related things, which were very clearly tied to this conference that you know either weren't good enough to make the main stage or weren't interesting enough uh, that they you know, potentially released them a couple of days early um, or during the event during the day. And so I, I'm a little bit going to a little bit last week, so I apologize for that. But uh, first one is the Amazon Certificate Manager Private CA uh, now supports a root CA hierarchy. Uh, and so this allows you to write uh, fully private CA authorities on top of AWS. Uh, the pricing is about $400 per region uh, where you want a private CA service and about $0.75 cents per certificate for the first 1,000 certificates. Uh, and you use these private certificates, of course, to generate internal certificates uh, between your load balancers and your hosts. Um, so this overall, this is a really nice feature. I actually was really, uh, I was very vocal <laughs> with Amazon about uh, how I didn't want to actually manage root certificates. Um, and the fact that they, in the previous iteration of private CA, they had basically made it so you had to have on-premise infrastructure or EC2-based infrastructure to hold these private root certs. Um, and I thought that was a bad call. And so I was glad to hear it. See, you know, that was at reInvent. And now six months later, they've released uh, what I really wanted the first time, which is really great. So nice to see this come out. 
Um, it is still a little bit pricey, but I think it's still in the right direction. And yeah, and if you look at actually doing it yourself, I'm sure this pricing isn't really that bad. But it's good to see the prices come down a little bit. Still, it's still kind of pricey, really. Seventy-five cents per certificate, but at least it's not a monthly charge like KMS. The next announcement was uh, you can now use IAM Access Advisor with your Amazon organization uh, to set permission guardrails uh, more confidently. And so this is a, a feature that's existed for a while for single accounts where you could basically see which services have been accessed by a certain IAM access role uh, and when the last time that was done. Now you can do this organizational-wide to help you develop your SCPs or your service control policies uh, and set these permission guardrails at the organizational level and have them cascade down across the environment. So that's a really nice uh, enhancement for those who are working about least privilege uh, and are using Amazon organizations. There was quite a few... Um, organizations enhancements throughout the conference I think is a really great move by AWS and this is a great first step. Yeah, I mean, it, they're just getting closer and closer to the Google uh, GCP model where IAM is global and you know your blast radius are projects. So uh, now that we're considering, you know, we consider accounts to be blast radius, this is our roll up and getting more features at the orgs level is going to be a requirement. Definitely agree um, with Peter and with what you said, Justin. I think that this is um, a great step forward, um, and it really starts to give more um, visibility and really really starts to let us um, get more granular with those permissions as well. I mean, what's really new here? I mean, SCPs have been around for a little while. Is it, is it just the visibility into the last used information for each service in the region? Is it is it just so you can double check to make sure that your policy does what you think it does? Yeah, I think it's that, that roll-up viewpoint that's the new feature, right? So they, the SCPs have existed for a while, but you know, if you set something too granular because you know some one of your accounts was using some service you didn't know about, you could actually cause downtime or issues for that, that service team. Um, so this gives you much more confidence that the guardrails you're setting when you run them through the Access Advisor will not impact uh, services that actually need those capabilities. So that's it's the, really the point of it. Um, but it, and I think it's definitely an improvement over what was there before, which was that you had to go to every one of your... 200 some odd accounts and address it. I don't know about you, but if I'm browsing the web and follow a link, if it doesn't load in a few seconds, I'll click away and go elsewhere. Performance of each site directly affects whether it gets my attention and more importantly, my business. Your business runs on applications and whether it's signing up, searching or selfies, it better work. A modern application today is built from multiple components or services and each one of these services has a stack that will make or break the performance of your application. That's your customer's experience and their impression of you. So how do you manage it? You don't. You let software do it for you. Turbonomic automatically manages application resources for you. Their software identifies and executes the right resource decisions at the right time at every layer of the stack, ensuring your applications get the compute, storage and network they need when they need it. Turbonomic is trusted by more than 2,000 digitally transforming customers and runs over 100 of the Fortune 500's hybrid and multi-cloud environments, continuously assuring the performance of their complex and dynamic applications. Check out Turbonomic today at turbonomic.com slash cloudpod. Again, that is turbonomic.com slash cloudpod. Links in the show notes. The uh, next announcement was the uh, the network load balancer now supports UDP protocol, uh, which is uh, a key requirement for one of the other services we'll talk about later. Uh, but the, basically, now being able to support UDP protocol in addition to TCP allows you to load balance things like authentication authorization solutions, logging, DNS, IoT, uh, and packet flow, uh, which is really important. 
And overall, this is a nice service. It does not support uh, anything but target types currently. IP target types and private link um, are not supported by the UDP protocol on NLB, but overall, uh, if you're using two EC2 instances, this service works just fine for you. Uh, the feature is supported in CloudFormation day one, which is great. Uh, and overall, this is a nice improvement. Yeah, it's funny. I think it's actually been supported in CloudFormation since before UDP was actually a feature on the NLB. I think the documentation for CloudFormation listed UDP as an option, but it was just never supported uh-huh. by I the load balancer itself. So it's, <laughs> this is, it's a first, everybody. CloudFormation supported it before the feature actually existed. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. This is great, though. This is great. I think... I think uh, this has been on my uh, most wanted list for a little while. What fee- what um, what services do you want? Have you, or do you have services you've been waiting to? Media streaming is is one is, is a big use case, but the the one for me is really DNS. Yeah, I th- I've had a ton of customers who are always looking to leverage like file transfer, tsunami, I think, um, open source, and then there's stuff built off it like Aspera and other UDP, um, just fast file upload uh, mm-hmm. tools. So. I can imagine this making it a little easier for us to to build our own. Yeah, and one other thing that I would like to add to, um, you know, especially from a security perspective, when you're looking at tools like Radius, um, you know, for user authentication, it often uses UDP as well. So that's a good point. Yep. Yep. Uh, Amazon FSX has several feature announcements uh, as well. So Windows File Server version of FSX uh, now has two announcements. It enables you to use your file systems directly with your organization's self-managed Active Directory. So this is. If you're running an AD on EC2 or on-premise, you can now connect FSX to that for authentication and authorization of your shares and your data sharing model. As well as now they allow you to use the Amazon Managed AD uh, for file server from a single VPC or across multiple account barriers. Um, So you actually get the benefit of if you're using Amazon's Managed AD, you can now share that across multiple accounts and leverage that for your part of your Windows file server capabilities of FSX, which is super nice. So both these announcements um, in the FSX space are nice for the teams that are doing Windows and large-scale Windows adoption and cloud, especially with the multi-account strategy, and this is really welcome. Um, in the case of the AD across VPCs and accounts, uh, this is across, of course, peering or transit gateways, and then the uh, cross-account capabilities via the directory sharing feature, which is relatively new as well. So these are both nice features. Couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine using uh, Windows file servers without it. Yeah, well, it was a bit difficult when you couldn't use it across <laughs> accounts because how do you, you know, you then basically had to create an FSX and a central account, and then you had to basically share that across through peering or some other relationship. But you really want that FSX to run potentially in that account, so it's not, it's not that in the central control plane. Um, so yeah, definitely nice to do. Yeah. Uh, both of these features come with no additional cost, which is always a win in the Amazon world. Because uh, if they charge us for AD lookup, that would be pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'd, I'd hope there'd be no additional cost for something. This is just a configuration item like that. Yeah. Uh, the other storage-related area around uh, the file gateway, which is the on-premise virtual appliance you can run to do uh, virtual tape libraries or just have a NAS capable to your network users, uh, now supports the ability to enforce encryption and signing for SMB shares. Uh, this allows you to set up the security levels at the file gateway and then uh, have that cross from both the on-premise side all the way up to S3 where that data will be stored using the same uh, signing and encryption capabilities. So that's a pretty nice feature too. Yeah, anytime you can enforce encryption, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great thing to have. Yeah, well, as, as Warner says, you know, encrypt everything. And so the yep. more services you have to encrypt, I think the, in the keynote, Steve actually mentioned they have 117 services now that support encryption out of the box, uh, which is really great. And, and they said it was 40 times more than any other cloud provider would support encryption out of the box. So they're definitely leading the pack when it comes to this level of encryption and security. 
Yeah, the question is going to be when they when do they start turning off unencryption? When are they going to start disallowing unencrypted data? Period. Like just that that feature goes away. There are use cases where potentially you don't want to encrypt data because there's a CPU cost to it. Like thinking about logging directories or places where you're writing a raw log out of HTTP or Apache servers. You don't necessarily want to have that data encrypted because of the CPU overhead. Um, so they may not ever completely eliminate it, but they may make it default encrypted. And then you have to basically specify you don't want it encrypted for a specific reason. Oh, that way it's an exception instead of the, the norm. Yeah. I think right now it's all about you have to enable the encryption if you want it, but it's available to you. Well, uh, the next feature I'm super excited about, uh, this is the new service quotas capability, and this is at the organizational level, so you can now view and manage your quotas uh, for AWS services from one central location. Now, uh, when they announced this, I didn't know what a service quota was, uh, but apparently this is also what they call, they refer to as limits. And so these are your service limits <laughs> around things like how many EC2 instances you can run of a certain type, uh, EBS volume attachments, uh, public IP addresses, etc. So you can now set these at the organizational level. Uh, you can review them across all of your accounts, and if you see one that is uh, going to be reaching its level, you can basically click on it and open up a support case right there to make that uh, quota increase happen pretty seamlessly. So that's overall a really nice uh, improvement. I'm a little confused on how some of the IAM permissions work for how to open that support case. Um, I don't know if that's just in the back end that Amazon's handling that for you, if you have to give us special permissions to do so, but um, as this rolls out, I will be taking a quick deep dive on it because I think it's a really great feature. Um, it'd also be nice if it did some more automation around, like, hey, I want uh, new accounts to have increased service limits as well at an organizational level, but uh, I don't think it's quite doing that yet, but definitely things we can hope for in the future. I think this has been needed for a long time. It's been so frustrating trying to manage service limits, um, especially across multiple accounts. Uh, even even um, some of the limits just seem to be set unusually low and always require to be adjusted for every single account we deploy and by the time we've got a couple of hundred accounts it's it's a bit of a chore so it's great that we have the visibility i'm a bit disappointed that it's really just automated with people on the back end kind of mechanical turk style it just opens up a, a support ticket when um i think in, in the case of the enterprises where the service limits will will automatically be increased. I mean, why why even have a person look at them in that case? Why why open a ticket? Why have to wait for half an hour or an hour or however long the SLA is for those tickets to to make that service change? It it just it complicates um, it complicates deployments when you have to worry about service service limits. So I think they have room for improvement here, but it's it's a great first step. It's funny though, right? Because one of the main reasons that these soft limits exist um, are to in to protect you a little bit from like unintentional runaway automation. So if you take away all of the the um, the human or the delay out of it, then you effectively don't have limits on the accounts, other than maybe Amazon's like you know budgetary limits. They don't want to give you a certain amount of you know rope because you haven't passed a certain credit check. But um, I like them because. You can protect yourself from accidentally spinning up a thousand or ten thousand instances because you wrote your code wrong or you set your auto scaling groups wrong. Yeah, I, I guess so. But but if, you, if you're trying to automate account creation, um, it's a little frustrating then to have to open up some support cases and then poll to see if the support cases are being closed yet, uh, yeah. even if and even if they're executed properly. So I think I think the you know the, the runaway risk or the somebody's got my keys in there running Bitcoin miners in you know, all my regions. I think that's a risk I'd be prepared to take if I could if I could opt into a more automated system. I definitely agree. I think I think you nailed it with the um, like sort of new account defaults for the org. That would be a brilliant, easy new feature. It seems like 
so that you can quickly get all the correct settings for your accounts as you create them. It's, yeah. It's yeah, because I mean, every time, you, every time you do a service limit increase, the, the justification is, uh, it can be a bit of a chore. I mean, if you, if you want more than 1,000 lambdas or 3,000 concurrent lambdas, whatever the default is, having to explain to you know the next support tech, the next support tech every single time that this is your business, you're trying to run everything serverlessly, and of course you need more than a thousand concurrent executions. It's it's I don't know. It seems like a waste of time. Yeah, it's funny that you mention um, you know the the Bitcoin mining because we all I mean we've all been in a situation where we've accidentally you know put our keys out there and um, you know a ton of servers get spun up and before you know it you've got a bill from Amazon that's you know twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> so I think from that perspective, I think that's that's great. But I can understand your frustrations as well. Yeah, but that is one of the one of the leading. Uh, causes for a lot of our customers of unexpected outages when they thought they uh, architected for high availability is when a serv- they creep up on a service limit. So it's I think you, you you definitely have to have visibility across the board on them. I think there's definitely room for improvement on the service overall that they can continue to work towards making this better. But overall, I'm super happy about it. Me too. Amazon DynamoDB uh, is now supporting up to 25 unique items and four megabytes of data per transactional request. And so this is uh, this came out on Monday, which we're including here for the show. But uh, it's not really security related, but we'll talk about it here real quick. Uh, transactions, of course, enable developers to simplify their code and support workflows and business logic that requires adding, updating, or deleting multiple items as a single um, transaction. So this is overall uh, a nice improvement if you're using transactional requests with DynamoDB. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about it, so we'll probably move on to this one pretty quickly, but uh, just want to mention it as it came out on Monday morning. Yeah, I mean, let's use uh, schemaless databases, very much more like a relational database. Yeah, it's, it's funny how we we went all went NoSQL, and then our big push is to go back to SQL <laughs> with these yeah. kind of constructs that <laughs> just gave you back to the old way. It's, it's, it's convenient. We want the features, but the NoSQL was invented because people like Facebook got to the point where they couldn't... It, it, it was a performance issue, right? It wasn't that they didn't want the features. It's that they couldn't afford the features at that scale. So sure, if you're going to use DynamoDB, but you're going to use it at a small scale, why not? Transactions, relations, table scans, let's do it. <laughs> For sure. Let's get into a couple uh, exciting GAs here. So Amazon uh, Security Hub uh, is now generally available, uh, which was announced at reInvent, of course, as a preview product. Uh, Security Hub is sort of their answer to a basic sim um they don't they don't call it a sim in any other language so uh but you know they basically automatically aggregate normalize and prioritize findings from amazon services including guard duty inspector uh, and amazon macy plus 30 different amazon partners uh which are your you know people you know like palo alto and uh, trend micro and crowdstrike etc all findings are now oh they added a few new features uh during the preview period so now all findings are sent to cloudwatch events uh, there's improved action abilities for compliance findings to automate them into JIRA or into ServiceNow. Uh, there's tag-based access control and cost allocation capabilities, and it is supported by CloudFormation. And the product uh, is PCI, HIPAA, ISO, and SOC certified. So overall, a nice GA announcement here for Security Hub. Uh, if you've been reserved uh, from using it because of the beta or preview, uh, it's now time to get to work and start using it. I'm unclear on this. Does this, does this aggregate data across regions, or is this... Uh, you, you have to run this per region. You do have to run it per region, uh, which is one of my complaints with it. Um, but it is, you know, it does have regional view and it does go across accounts regionally. 
Um, but you do have to have one for each region. Um, from a security perspective, I think this is going to be great um, to be able to have a, a centralized single pane view um, of all of the different um, tools out there, right? So you can look at your remediations and kind of prioritize them at that point. Um, and from a compliance and governance perspective, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. So I'm excited to see how they improve upon it in the future. Yeah, lately there has been no pane of glass. It's all been API, it's all been event notifications, and it's all been cool because we could automate it, but right. there really was nothing to look at. All right. That's very accurate. I want to look at, yeah. Sometimes you just want to look at something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it can be very frustrating at times when you're having to sift through, so yeah. it'll be exciting. Well, the other uh, general available product was the uh, Amazon Control Tower. Control Tower is a service that is intended for organizations with multiple accounts and teams uh, who are looking for the easiest way to set up their new multi-account AWS environment and govern at scale. Uh, so this allows you to set up your landing zones, your best practices, guardrails, user identity and federation capability, and enables account provisioning through something as simple as Amazon Service Catalog, uh, as well as enforces CloudTrail and Amazon Config. So overall, this is a really great uh, feature. If you are brand new to AWS uh, and you would like to go into a multi-account strategy as part of your plan, you should use Control Tower. If you are a customer who already has hundreds of accounts and wants this capability, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm presumably they'll launch some kind of migration tool in the future. Yeah, I, I, we were talking about this over dinner last night, actually. It would be nice if they would uh, maybe have the ability for you to turn it on for net new accounts in an organization. So that way you kind of start moving to the patterns and start using these things for new accounts. But then, yeah, over time, if there was a migration approach, you can move old accounts into this model. That'd be great. Um, but right now, it doesn't really seem to be a way to do that with the documentation. Uh, but I know we're, we're going to follow up with Amazon and see if we can get some more information on this one in particular because I think it's a great idea. I think it's something that every company needs to build and own and run, but um, how they're going to get there for existing customers is the big question. Yeah, building landing zones was a huge, uh, basically, business for consulting companies, for AWS ProServe, and you can just tell, I'm certain, you know, they, they took their knowledge and experience from doing that and now just building a product around it makes so much sense getting to where really the org is the account and the accounts are the blast radiuses. I don't really have a lot to add on it either. I think it's great. Um, I think it's a great tool, at least for management, right, for the new customers. And hopefully they will, you know, put out some sort of migration tool for existing. But from an SSO, you know, federated access, I think it'll be good. Hey, everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, Jonathan, uh, how do you feel about taking a marketplace and integrating it into your procurement system? Uh, is that something, something you would like to do? <laughs> <laughs> if only if only I could integrate it with my procurement system. Well, but is your procurement customers. system Coupa? It is not. Oh, it is oh not. does and your I, I don't system support CXML? It, no, I'm afraid it doesn't. Is that the, <laughs> is that the open standard for uh, procurement data exchange? Yes, it is. Apparently written by Coupa. Oh, which, 
Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. So I have no idea what market share. I know they're popular. Yes. Yeah, I know they're popular, but I, I don't know what market share they have or, or how much they got paid by uh, or how much they paid Amazon to be the the launch partner for this. But, yeah. I, I mean, it's a great feature. I, I was super excited when they mentioned it on stage. I was like, oh, this is really nice, you know, to be able to tie it into um, our procurement system and be able to automatically create POs or approval workflows based on, you know, business logic. That was really great. And then, yeah, they're like, well, this is a launch part of Coupa. And I was like, oh, well, we don't use Coupa. I'm sure that's a great product. Yeah. And then, you know, they mentioned the XML format, which I'd never heard of. And then you look that up too, and you're like, oh, well, Coupa wrote it. That's great. So who supports that protocol? And even though it's supposed to be industry standard, no one else supports it. <laughs> so it, I'm not sure exactly what they were thinking on this one. Uh, but uh, so yeah. I guess they're, they're pioneers in their field for sure. But um, I mean, it'd be nice when this expands to other procurement systems. I assume uh, other systems will implement the open standard. Um, or maybe not. Maybe they'll deploy their own standards. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wonder fun, but... how much of this was their desire to make Coupa happy and to get a good relationship with them on this. And, and the reality is that SAP or Workday or, or NetSuite Oracle have some other standard that they also support, and those will have to be added now. <laughs> and they end up supporting multiple protocols. Yeah, I mean, anything really that makes it easier to, to subscribe to the marketplace items is very welcome, though, because we've had outages where we've deployed a new account um, and the automation that's been tried and tested in other accounts doesn't just simply doesn't run. And why does it run? It's because somebody has to manually log into the console and oh. subscribe to a particular channel, whether it's CentOS or something else. Or you know, you've got to um, approve the the, um, the the private pricing deal manually. And so, hey, yeah, anything that can be done like this, that's that's fantastic. Well, and the, and the problem with the the private pricing for like us is that we we have a payer account that no one logs into except for you know couple people that we have and then you know finance has some access to that to look at the bill but no one really has access to go into that account so every time we have to go approve a private marketplace deal it's like oh i have to go find the root key certificate we have for the you know the, the two-factor mfa on it i have to log into this thing i don't ever log into and it's, it's always a pain um so it'd be nice if it was just kind of integrated into procurement so well now uh, the most important announcement of the event which gave peter the win the Amazon VPC traffic mirroring for EC2 instances feature. Uh, this allows customers to now replicate network traffic from an EC2 instance within their Amazon VPC and forward that traffic to security and monitoring appliances or for use cases such as content inspection, threat monitoring, and troubleshooting. Uh, this appliances can be installed on either a single EC2 instance uh, to receive the traffic, or you can have a fleet of instances behind an NLP with a UDP listener, which uh, ding, ding ding is why you now have NLP with UDP support. Amazon VPC traffic mirroring also supports filtering and packet truncation, uh, which allows customers to extract only the data they really care about versus the entire packet payload. So overall, this is super nice. Uh, it is attached to ENIs, uh, and it must be uh, handled through an ENI level thing, and it is not in user space, so none of the packets can be modified by a user on a host. Um, so this is pretty good security right here for this particular feature. I think this is by far the most exciting news. I think, it, and one of the things that they had said too, is that it integrates with a lot of their partners, which is fantastic as well. So they did um, a huge beta test um, with a ton of um, vendors with their partners, with their AWS partners. And on their website, you can actually see, um, you know, you can get some comments and feedback from some of those partners that kind of went through the beta test, which is neat. That's great. That's cool. We've been waiting for this, this kind of feature for such a long time. Um, it's still quite limited. I think I think uh, configuring it per ENI, per source ENI, is, is a bit of a chore. I look forward to the time when we can specify whole subnets or even whole VPCs oh, yeah. um, to, to gather data from. Um, 
I mean, are, are there any are there any production ready appliances ready to receive this data and start reporting on it? Kind of out the door, though. I mean, I know a lot of partners for the for Reinforce does does their product support it? Yeah, I believe Alert Logic does. Hmm. Um, I believe Alert Logic. There were quite a few of them that do. Um, what are some of the other ones? Extra Hop, um, Palo Alto is another one. Um, I would like to note too, though, that one of you know one of the downsides is that you can only um, have three active sessions, active sessions on each ENI. Um, so there's something to consider about that as well. And bandwidth. I mean, there's definitely some nice use cases, though. Even from just, a, I, I mean, you can pump this data into something like Wireshark, right? So if you Absolutely. If you had a you know a system where you know you need to get network packet captures off a host, instead of going and you know running Wireshark locally, you just enable this for that host for the period you want to do the capturing, and then just look at the data offline. So this is nice too if you have like a zero access to production type environment, um, you can set up your rules and, and access to allow them to create you know a very quick Wireshark host or a type of streaming function to stream this data into S3, and then they can pick it up as necessary to do their troubleshooting without having to have that local box access, which would be nice. It has um, uses outside of security too. I mean, troubleshooting in general, being able to um, capture capture traffic to to do troubleshooting of APIs or whatever whatever you have going on in the VPC is going to be fantastic. So I'm sure there'll be some tooling around um, around debugging problems and supportability using a tool like this too instead of deploying Wireshark on your EC2 instances? It's early days. I mean, they've been working on this for a while, for those of us in the know. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to see it finally get shipped. But, it, you know, they when it was first pitched, I think there was an idea that it had more capability than it shipped with, which you know, is MVP. I expect you'll see more coming out in the next, you know, six months to a year. That'll start making this even more powerful and, and more capable for what we want to be able to do. But this is a good first step. Because, I mean, in a lot of cases, there's very simple use cases, like the troubleshooting one you just mentioned. Um, or if you have an outbound NAT firewall type solution that you want to be able to packet capture data through, or even like a transit gateway, if I can attach it to a transit gateway, that'd be super helpful. Um, you know, I don't actually need to have every host, but at least the key ones that have traffic handling through them would be super helpful. Yeah, it was interesting to see that you can actually route this route this traffic through a transit gateway system to a VPC somewhere else yeah. and have that mirrored data pop out anyplace else so you could have your InfoSec VPC somewhere receiving all this data. But, yeah. um, I, I, I'm worried that it's going to open a bit of a can of worms around wanting wanting more all the time. I mean, uh, security people never say they want less. They always want more. <laughs> and so I think what's going to happen now is they're going to realize that we encrypt everything in transit and now they want to decrypt all this data. And where where do we get the keys from? Well, the keys come from ACM, except right now they're managed wholly by Amazon. They're locked up and we have no access to them. So in, in order to decrypt any of this traffic, we're going to have to have access to private ACM keys. So, Well, you know, I'm sure they need to solve this problem for EC2 hosts too, right? Because now with, um, you know, if you had a, a certificate that wasn't on the host, right, you couldn't look at that data either. So, I mean, the private certificates kind of gets you that direction already where now you have certificates that are being managed by ACM that I need to be able to access to decrypt data on a host that's coming in that way. So the more they get into that host-based encryption piece with S2N, I think the more interesting this will start to get and how they start doing that type of analysis. Um, I think there's it's definitely get this feature out there identify that as a use case they need next and then start working on developing that out. I'm, I'm excited to see the feature. I think we, we knew it was going to come. I'm disappointed they haven't built more tooling around it uh, in time for the Reinforced Conference, though, you know, like the uh, the SageMaker type tooling, the machine learning type tooling and reporting that we talked about. Yeah, I was a little bummed they didn't draft. have a, a SageMaker um, thing set up for this. Like, here's a, here's a quick start on how to use SageMaker to actually go analyze yeah. this data. That would have been really nice to see. Uh, but you know, those are things that come out of the solutions architects here in the next few weeks or months, and they'll be blogging about it. So definitely, if this is something you're interested in, 
um, stay stay tuned because I'm sure more and more data will come and we'll keep an eye on it here at the Pod Pod so we can let you know about it. Um, as I know, it's a big deal for a lot of companies. For partners who are wanting to get the uh, security uh, proficiency, there's a new prescriptive journey uh, from Amazon. So they'll prescribe to you as a partner how to get uh, the security, but they will not subscribe to you or prescribe to you as a customer how to get there. But yeah, nice for partners. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, we had to do it all on our own, so this is uh, this is great for other partners to have an easier time than we had than we had. Yeah, that is not um, that is not an easy track. <laughs> it's really really hard. Yeah. Yes, it's a uh, security is definitely something they take very serious at AWS, and they have a very high bar. So the prescriptive journey, I think, is uh, maybe a bit more necessary for some of the APNs who who are struggling with how to get there. And we're probably asking Amazon, like, well, what do you want us to do on this? How do we build this? And that's nice that they've uh, helped give you some answers. Uh, Amazon Direct Connect uh, has launched its first location in Italy, uh, just in time for my trip there in next week. <laughs> so uh, you can now use Direct Connect uh, to connect to CD LAN in Milano, Italy. Uh, and this is the new first Direct Connection in Italy. And then a final story for Reinforce, uh, Amazon CloudWatch adds visibility for your .NET and SQL application health. Uh, so this is new capability to provide observability of your application stack. Uh, it sets up and analyzes important monitors from across your application resource to discover problems with the app and creates a CloudWatch automatic dashboard. So this is all uh, out-of-the-box tuning and capabilities for monitoring for .NET and SQL Server. And then they utilize Amazon SageMaker machine learning to uh, determine where things look abnormal uh, or errors with those resources. So this is uh, interesting because you see kind of a few different uh, avenues where Amazon is moving very slowly into application uh, performance management products or APM. And this is one of the areas coupled with uh, X-Ray where you're starting to see them kind of co-merge into something that might be really interesting in the future. So uh, this was also announced uh, yesterday here at the conference. Yeah, I'm really glad I'm not doing an APM, uh, APM startup right now. Oh, I, I, yeah, it would not be a good time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between Stackdriver on the Google side and what uh, Microsoft is doing with Azure uh, and now AWS, I think that's an area that's going to be ripe for disruption here in the future. Yeah. Well, that uh, that wraps up most of the, the uh, Reinforce stuff. Any Anything we didn't talk about, you guys, that you wanted to mention about Reinforce? The talk that you haven't seen on YouTube yet from uh, Colm about encryption of all the uh, network traffic mm-hmm. between Nitro hosts which was enabled on the back end, totally transparently to customers, uh, is amazing. That is definitely deserves a mention. Yeah, anytime Colm talks, uh, it's all, I'm always wowed and amazed, and he's a very smart person. So yeah, he's definitely, that's the very first YouTube video that I, I plan to be watching. So uh, as I was not able to make it to his talk, I was double booked at the time, but uh, definitely excited to see what they're talking about. Yeah, he's, he's really definitely got my interest with uh, some of his Twitter storms about um, about the way they handle uh, key exchanges and things, and the fact that they enable it all transparently is uh, is awesome. Scary, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, one session that I was really disappointed to not be able to get into, and I'm trying to pull it up now. I can't remember exactly what the title was for all of you that might want to watch it, but it was basically talking about um, the firewall and WAF um, and how it was going to be, or how it could be used to detect um, bots and um, to detect bots, essentially. So I was really bummed. That was one that I really, really wanted to get into, but the classes were full. So I'm hoping they'll post that one soon, as it was just done this afternoon. Yeah, probably the next. Uh, and they're pretty quick. Within 24 to 48 hours, they'll all be up on the internet, uh, which also diminishes the value of paying $1,200 <laughs> to come to the conference. <laughs> well, overall, I think uh, I, I mean I, I definitely think my takeaway is that I, I don't think I'll come back next year. I think I'll I'll pass on Houston and. Uh, 
you know, listen to the Twitterverse and see if it got better uh, from this year to next year, and then maybe come back in, in two years when it's a little bit more developed of a conference. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I came for the first one. I'm glad to see it. I'm, I'm, I can say I was there. Uh, like Peter can say, he was at the first reinvent. Exactly. So. <laughs> did, uh, did anyone see Corey Quinn's session? Uh, no, I will watch the video on that one as well, but I did hear uh, it was quite entertaining and was very uh, good. To there you go. Uh, but, uh, you know, Corey's always a, a great speaker and fun to watch, so I'm sure his session was perfect. But he told me he only had about five minutes in that session where he was actually going to be talking, so I, I didn't prioritize going to it over something else that I need to do. Right. So. so do you think they'll pull the security content completely out of reInvent, or most, obviously not completely out of reInvent, but um, mostly out of reInvent? Yeah, um, that's the will... question. So I think if they went that direction, this conference would maybe make more sense. Um, especially the level of the content they had here and stuff like that, and the, this is the place you come for security. But I think they also they would diminish their message at reInvent uh, to not have security there. And so I, I feel like they will continue to probably have security at both places, but they may start deferring more features for security to this conference to make this more interesting. Yeah, I was going to – that's exactly my point really is it, it's, it's hard to say you're a security first organization and then not talk about security in, in the biggest conference <laughs> and, and ch charge you an extra $1,200 to go and uh, – well, I mean, this is also a big question, though, too, they had to solve. It was like, how do you scale reInvent beyond 50,000 people and have it be effective, right? And uh, the venues that they've been doing at, in Las Vegas across the entire strip and the bus system and all that, it's, it's making it difficult to get the value out of it. And so if they if they were very clear about, you know, this is a security conference and we're going to have a machine learning AI conference and we're going to have a DevOps conference and they're going to be highly focused and those are going to be supplemented out, Maybe it gets more interesting, and maybe then, because that's the way you just understand that's how it works. But then it also means that companies are doing a lot more travel to go get the training they're all getting at reInvent. So I, I think it's a, it's a tough situation for them to figure out how to solve it. Uh, but I'm sure there's people smarter than us who are working on this very actively right now, trying to figure out how to scale reInvent. Yeah, first thing they need is a bigger facility. <laughs> well, I, I mean, my big complaint is I wish they would just, I wish they would keep the SANS, because the SANS is a good conference, but I wish they would pick up the Las Vegas Convention Center and then just run buses between the two um, constantly. And then I think like between those two facilities, which really run the core of Convex, or uh, sorry, the big, uh, whatever the big uh, electronic conferences with all the TVs, uh, that, I mean, that's the way to go. And then you don't have to have people going up and down the strip to MGM and to uh, Mandalay Bay and all of that. Just stick down that end of the strip, go between those two convention centers, and I think they would have a pretty good setup. But I've put it in my comments two years in a row and it hasn't changed. So. <laughs> size of that conference it's a massive contract that it's probably you know, three or four three to five year commitments that they have to sign and, and it has to be structured in the right way so there's unions involved and, and hotel casino empires to police so <laughs> the house always wins well uh it's fantastic to have you guys here it's good to see you here in boston of course peter and then uh, sarah as well uh, thanks for joining us sarah where would they find uh more from you on the internet? Uh, yeah, so I don't have a ton of information out there, but um, I do post a blog on our um, on the Foghorn blog website, so you can catch me there. Um, we recently did one on um, Ansible and the CIS benchmarks, so I'm going to keep that going, I think, um, and we'll start building off of that a bit. Um, I think another one we may talk about is fail to ban and how to automate that as well. So that's probably the primary. Um, I am on LinkedIn as well. Thanks, Sarah. And uh, Peter and Jonathan, I'll see you back in the East Bay. See you soon. And that is The Week in Cloud. We would like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Turbonomic. Subscribe on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and tweet us your feedback at 
hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Thank you.